Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, thank you so much for joining us again this morning online, and thank you for uh, that great song, uh, Morgan and, uh, and Sherry. Uh, just a great reminder of God's presence and his promises uh, through this time that he can be trusted even during hard times. Well, this is week number, I don't know what, of meeting online, meeting virtually, but it's good to see you guys this way nonetheless. Thank you for adjusting with us from what is now, uh, you know, our old normal to our new normal. Um, you know, speaking of normals, I don't know about you, but I've been thinking about some things that um, I've been used to doing and now I can no longer do. And, and one of those, believe it or not, is um, you, you remember things called um, elevators? You ever remember them? You know, those, those boxes that we get into in public, we walk in with random strangers and we're definitely within six feet of them and try not to talk to them or look at them in the eye and maybe have an awkward conversation here or there. And you kind of have to move with people when they push the buttons for up or down. You kind of go with them to their floors and then get off, you know, on your own. And as I was thinking about elevators and wondering when I might ever get in one again, I kind of thought that it might be a good way to think about the space that we find ourselves in right now. It's almost like we've gotten pushed into, kind of forced into an elevator right now, all together as a community and as a society, even, I'd argue, worldwide. That someone just kind of jammed us in, closed the doors, and now we're experiencing some ups and downs and some significant uh, changes that come right now. And the problem is we don't even know who's pushing the buttons and we can't make it stop. You know, I, that's kind of how I think that, you know, these days are going in some ways. You know, and as I think about the, the elevator that we're on, the elevator of life that maybe you're on and that I'm on, you know, I realize that there are some um, floors here that we sometimes can get off on that are actually related to one another. You know, I have my, my ups and I have my downs, and I think you, you might as well. But one of the things that's helpful to me is to think about the downs. And when I get into some of these down floors, there's a, a whole section of floors. I'm going to say four of them together that are actually in a category that this morning I'm going to call despair. All right, and I know that might sound really sad and really hard, but, but give me a second. I, I want to talk about these four floors for a minute here this morning. And what I realize with despair and, and sadness and depression and regret, those are the four floors that we're in, is that sometimes when we're down at those floors, we really want to quickly, quickly get out of them. We don't like to be discouraged. We don't like to be sad. We don't like to have regret. And we certainly don't like to see ourselves being in despair and hopeless. I mean, that's a hard place to be. And when I get down to those floors, sometimes I really just want to wildly mash the buttons until I can get back up to another place of hope and encouragement and full of life again. And this morning, I just want to encourage you, it's okay to be on these floors. It's okay to understand where they take you and why they take you where they take you. And in particular this morning, I want to say that these four floors are actually related to one another. And if we don't understand their relationship, sometimes we won't get off the elevator where we should. And we'll keep going down from regret to sadness to depression to despair not realizing what has happened along the way. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is what these floors will teach us about ourselves. I don't want to just give you a way to get out of this and to quickly get back up to the top floors, but I also don't want to leave you in the basement of despair this morning. And so I want to talk about both why they're important for us to understand and also 
how we can navigate through these floors that are a part of all of our ups and downs. Well, to kind of get started, I just need to define these four floors for you, and I want to give thanks to uh, Dan Allender and Tremper Longman um, in their book, Cry of the Soul, for helping me understand it. And as I talk about these four floors, I talk about regret being that kind of thing that, that comes with just a slight sense of loss. In other words, you might have regretted dating somebody in your past, or maybe you regret take, um, stopping piano lessons when you were younger, and later on in life you think, I wish I would have done something else. I wish I would have not given up on that. It's a slight sense of loss, but it's not overwhelming, and it doesn't you know, crowd into your heart or soul. So regret is just kind of that opening floor of, hmm, I've lost something. Maybe I made a bad decision. Maybe things could have gone differently. Sadness is the next floor down, and, and sadness can make you cry. Sadness is often associated with an event or a moment in your life. For example, right now, it might be a loss of a job. If you're in high school or college, it might be the loss of graduation. It might be the loss of prom or the loss of knowing what might come next for you next semester or the loss of being present with your friends. It's a sadness. It's a, it's a heart weight that comes, but it's related to a particular incident. Um, when you lose a friendship or a loved one, um, sometimes that can have a deeper level of sadness. But there's a difference between sadness and depression. Depression floor is marked by kind of a, a, a life-absorbing characteristic. In depression, um, you might have insomnia. You might have no energy to carry on the tasks of your day. Um, you might wake up and feel like, I don't even think I can concentrate on anything today. Um, and in a deeper state of this incident or this moment or this loss, is absorbing so much of my life that it's difficult to even function. I can't hardly get through the day and the nights are difficult too. And that's depression floor. The fourth floor, kind of the basement floor of this, these four floors together is despair. A despair is a hard floor to get off on, but some of us have gotten off on that floor. Some of us have been there and seen despair for what it is. Despair is an utter loss of hope. It is uh, the time when suicidal thoughts may go through your mind or the mind of someone whom you love. There seems to be absolutely no reason to go forward. In despair, darkness can be your closest friend because there's no hope, there's no point in hoping again. It's just a hard, desperate time. Despair wants to rob you of any desire to hope in the future. And so these four floors are related and they can move and all of us can move from one to the next. I would bet that most of you this morning are not all the way down in the basement of despair. But I would argue that every single one of us has felt regret sadness, depression, or despair through our lives. And I want to highlight them at the beginning because I want you to understand if you have regret that isn't processed, it can move you down to the sadness floor. If you have sadness that you don't process, it can move you down to the depression floor. If you have depression, it can move you right down to, to despair and you can get off and think, how did I get here? What is going on and what is happening within my life? And so today, even though we recognize that, I want to I wanna navigate those hard waters of despair and all of the categories related to that by using a psalm and going to one of the psalms in the scriptures. So in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there was actually a man, and his name, believe it or not, 
it sounds funny. His name was He-Man, H-E-M-A-N. Um, He-Man, he wrote a, a song, and I'm, I'm sure that he wasn't the action hero that I grew up watching on TV, the cartoon action hero, He-Man. Um, so I might just refer to him as Haman so that I don't get mentally distracted, but, but Haman wrote this song, and this is actually a song meant for corporate worship. And the song, um, Psalm 88 is where it's found, it is the darkest psalm in the Bible, and it was set to the tune, here's how it's described in the Bible, it's set to the tune of, get this, the suffering of affliction. Now, I'm not a worship leader, um, but when I know worship teams put together song sets, rarely do I see a song title that's in that category of, hey, after we sing, you know, oceans, or after we sing, you know, whatever it is, why don't we add the suffering of affliction onto the end of it, just as a tag on. I mean, who wants to sing about the suffering of affliction? And I might argue right now that in our corporate worship and as we worship as a church, maybe this is the time for songs like that. I, I can argue that in weeks, months past, even the past decade, I don't know if as a community we were going to sing songs like that. But maybe right now there may be a time for this because what Haman taps into in the suffering of affliction is a very real stream of our emotions that we often have been afraid to engage because we are afraid of where it will take us. We're afraid of the darkness and we want to move quickly from the darkness to the light. We want to just keep holding out that God is good, that God is faithful, and he is. But also life sometimes is dark and hard. And Haman navigates this and kind of teeters within his psalm between utter hopelessness and complete darkness and a, and a tinge of hope and a tinge of the, the faithfulness of God. And this is this, this is the way that Haman kind of navigates this psalm. And I think you can really relate to the human experience. So as you think about despair, uh, one thing that I think we all know is that the best way to think about despair and overcoming it is that, that hope is really the vaccine for despair. So hope is the vaccine for despair, but we certainly know these days that you don't want to rush a vaccine because then it will have problems. You need it, but you can't rush it, and that's frustrating. Hope sometimes can be rushed into the life of someone who is going through real darkness. Hope can be rushed in because we want to give people a reason to keep living and to keep moving on and to keep finding the energy that they need. And sometimes we deliver to people hope that isn't ready yet or isn't deep enough. Two ideas come to mind around this in particular. Sometimes we deliver hope that is based on circumstances. When you're talking to someone who is depressed, in despair, or sad, maybe in regret, when we try to encourage them by just saying, hey, things will get better, we will get through this, what we're saying is, there will come a future day when circumstances will change from today and you will be okay. Now the truth is people in despair and depression and sadness and regret are smart people. They know that you don't know the future. They know that they don't know the future. They know that hope based on circumstances has let them down in the past and will let them down in the future. When someone is deep into despair, the quicksand of despair, you cannot pull them out simply by saying, fear not, things will get better someday. And I know that's well-intentioned encouragement, but it often is not enough because it's not a deep enough place to locate our hope. 
So hope in circumstances can't quite pull us out. And secondly, hope in people can't quite pull us out either. In other words, you may have heard someone say, hey, when we, let, let's, let's get a new president in there, let's get a new governor in here, let's um, you know, follow the CDC, let's not follow the CDC, let's do this, let's do that. Let's kind of hope in people. If we get a new leader, get a new government, if we get a new boss at work, if I get a new partner, if I get a new whatever, someone else, someone else will bring to me what I don't have. Their ability to see and lead and understand will be greater than the people who are in front of me right now. And again, people who are going through depression, people who are in sadness, people in despair, realize that is not enough because so many people have disappointed them in the past. There will be good people who will disappoint them in the future. And it's not a strong enough place to anchor hope. So even though hope is the vaccine of despair, hope in circumstances and hope in people is a rushed vaccine that we try to bring to people quickly and it isn't enough. Now, to to get to enough, I want to go to Psalm 88, what Haman had to write about in this psalm. And one of the things that I appreciate about this psalm is that it's so real, it gives us freedom and permission not to have all our junk together. In fact, this psalm ends in despair. It doesn't even end well. It doesn't even end with hope, to be honest with you. This thing just ends. But listen, it also shows up in the Bible. Like it made the cut. In other words, it's okay to have these days where at the end of the day, we're going to say maybe like Haman, like darkness is close to me, the end, and let's see what tomorrow holds. Like that is kind of where this thing goes. So this is a dark and kind of difficult psalm to, to, to get our hearts and minds around, but it's, it's in the scriptures and it's here for a reason. It's a gift to us to help us understand despair. So here's how Haman begins in verse 1. He says this, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. And I love how it begins because it's quite frankly the only place I find hope in the whole psalm. I find that uh, there's hope here just in the fact that he's coming straight to God and he's crying out to him. It's going to be a dark day, but he comes to him daily to say, I'm going to come to you. My prayer comes before you day and night. I cry out to you. This idea, he actually wraps uh, two other places into his song. And in verse 9 and verse 13, he also says, I call to you, Lord, every day. Verse 13, he says, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. So three different times in the psalm, we see him. This is very important. It's going to be very important for us to understand despair and honesty. We still see someone who is deep in despair every day, sometimes twice a day, crying out to God, even to the God who doesn't seem to be listening. This is what Haman does over and over and over again. This is his words. I'm doing this every day. In the morning, I'm going to come to you every day in the morning and at night. Now, why does he come to God? Look at verse 3. The reason he comes to God is because, as he said in the beginning of verse 3, I'm overwhelmed with troubles. I'm just simply overwhelmed. And he goes on to explain that more in the psalm, but he feels completely overcome with the weight and the struggle of his life. He feels, he'll talk about feeling abandoned by God. As I read that, it's almost as if Haman thinks, God, the weight and the struggles of my life 
uh, have put me in such a place that there is nowhere I can go for hope. No one's listening when I call. Like it's worse than the unemployment line right now in Pennsylvania. It's a full-time job to get unemployment benefits and it seems like no one can ever get back to me. It's worse than that right now, God, with you. Like I don't even I don't even have a phone number to call for you. Like I'm some small, you know, small item all the way back there in the corner and you are a big God and you don't even have time for me. You've abandoned me. And I'm overwhelmed with all of my troubles with no hope for the future. And there might be for you, there might be a loss that you're experiencing right now that no one else even knows about. You're holding it in and keeping it to yourself. There's pain that you haven't been willing to share with your spouse, pain you haven't been willing to share with your parents or your friends. There's stuff you're trying to stuff away, but part of you feels like, even if I were to say it, who would care about this? I mean... It's, I'm such a small person in light of the big scope of the world. Who even cares? I mean, it's like I'm overwhelmed with this, but I've been abandoned, so ah, whatever. This is, how, this is how Haman feels. And it's not just God who has forgotten him. It gets even worse. It's his friends who he can't relate to anymore. Look at verse 8. He says, You have taken from me my closest friends. I mean, can you relate to that right now? Good grief. We can't even get together with our friends right now. And this is what Haman says. Like, God, not only have you abandoned me and I feel far from you, I can't even pour out my heart to my friends. I don't even have friends anymore. I feel alone and isolated. And then what happens to him because of all of this feeling of abandonment and alone, verse 9 makes it clear that he loses his vision. He can't see past his problems right now. Verse 9 says, my eyes are dim with grief. It's a very poetic way to put it. What he's saying is, God, I wake up and the pain and the struggle, the unknown of the future, it weighs so heavy on me that I can't see past today. I mean, I can't see past this season. I'm not sure how the month will end. I know May 8th is coming up and maybe the state will reopen, but maybe it won't. And I'm reading all these projections. I'm getting information on social media about this. I'm reading from the CDC and I just can't see what's happening. And the weight kind of weighs on me and I don't have vision for it. And the grief of it all just settles in. I don't know what will happen and I've lost vision. I can't see. And the reason I've lost vision is because of the pain of grief. It's right here on me. It gets worse for Haman. I'm sorry, it does. He, he says... Essentially, he's been bearing this burden for decades. Look at verse 15. From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. And I don't know how old this guy is now, but he's certainly more than a teenager. And so I would just assume that at least for a couple of decades, he's been dealing with these feelings. I mean, he's just saying, I have suffered and been close to death from my youth. This has gone on for a long time. This isn't a week or two or, or a month or two. This is what I would understand to be decades. It's gone on and on. And then he ends in verse 18. His response is to conclude. And his response is simple. There are days when he just frankly wants to totally give up on hope. Totally give up on it. And darkness is his closest friend. Look at verse 18. You, God, you have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's it. I mean, the end. Book closed, song over, and then let's go on in worship after we sang this song, The Suffering of Affliction. I mean, what a, what a warm and encouraging you know, note this is for all of us to sing, right? I mean, what a way to end. Darkness is my closest friend. I mean, come on. 
So this, this psalm, this song, it really does, it teeters on the knife's edge of total despair and darkness. And yet it is mixed in with this idea that yet he comes to God every day. But he's been dealing with this since he's been young, but he comes to God every day. God seems to have abandoned him. He's lost his friends, but he comes every day. He's lost his vision and the grief is serious, but he comes to God every day. So despair is a significant thing. and Despair can actually teach us something. And this is what I want to honor about these four floors of regret, and sadness, depression, and despair. I want to honor this space that sometimes we are all in. Despair can be a gift. We can learn something from these floors. Because despair teaches us what life is actually like. It tells us what life is actually like. Life is actually full of brokenness and pain. It is full of people, sometimes people who don't like you. You have enemies, sometimes you don't like other people. It's full of uh, broken promises, a, a future that is now uncertain. You thought you were going to graduate, and now you're not. You thought your business model was going this way, and now it's not. You're wondered about your marriage in the future because there's so many questions. It is full of broken promises. And the truth is, that is how your life is right now. You've lost someone that you love. You feel the grief and the weight of it. Despair helps you, and it helps me, see what life actually is like right now. But despair also does this. It brings us almost an insidious, it brings a, a subtle message with it. When it tells you what life is like, it also tells you this. This is what life will always be like. And that is the danger of despair. While it is a gift to help us to see clearly, it also brings with it this message that this is how it will always be. To put it another way, despair wants to deaden and kill desire. The desire within you to hope, to find life, to find joy, the desire for life that God has given to you and to me, that God-given desire, despair wants to snuff out and wants to kill. It wants you to believe that it is safer to give up hope than to hope again because circumstances have let you down, people have let you down. What it doesn't tell you is that there may be another place to find your hope vaccination. And this is where Haman comes every day, every day comes back to the very God who sometimes seems silent in his pain. Now, let me ask you this question. You know, what are you supposed to do with all this? What can you do? If you're in this situation, you've gotten down to one of these floors, you're, you're in regret or sadness or depression or despair, what do you do? What do you do? Um, I, I want to encourage you with a couple things. First of all, I want to encourage you to name what floor of the elevator that you've gotten off on. I want to encourage you to name it. It'll be helpful to you. Maybe you're regretting something. You're regretting something you've said to somebody, a decision you've made, or whatever it might be. You're regretting something. That can be okay. Just name it. Maybe you're experiencing sadness, where you have an incident that kind of overwhelms your soul, or you're, you're in depression, where your life has been absorbed by this. You can't sleep right. You just can't work well. You cannot concentrate. You can't move through it. Maybe you're in despair. Maybe you even have feelings or thoughts of self-harm right now. Name this space. Okay, Name this. What floor have you gotten off on? And when you do, it is going to, you have to be able to name it honestly. And just like Haman did. 
And this is painful to write these things out, to say and come to the conclusion, darkness is my closest friend. I mean, come on, that's, that's pretty heavy. But you've got to be able to enter these really hard waters. And I'll tell you, honestly, a lot of times you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. And this is where I will, I will offer to you at Grace Point, these are the journeys that we want to walk with you. These are the stories that we want to help walk with you through. If you don't have other friends, people you trust, I'm going to tell you now, we want to walk with you through this hardest stuff with love and care and trust with you. But it is a terrifying thought for some people to get off on the floor and name it. Yes, I am depressed. Wow. Yes, I'm in despair. Wow. Yes, this is where I am. So first of all, name it. Secondly, then I want you to consider asking a seriously challenging question. I want to have you consider that. To ask yourself a seriously challenging question. Because despair will tell you what life is like. It shows you what it is, but it doesn't show you what will be. And the question I want you to ask is this. Is despair, is despair the lasting story? Is it the lasting story? Is it the enduring story? Is despair the final word? That's a question that you will have to wrestle with. Is sadness the lasting story? Is depression the lasting story? Is regret the lasting story? Is this all that is? See, in the opening passages of Scripture in Genesis, we read about sin and pain entering the world and, and ruining so many things. But the rest of the Bible, from Genesis 4 to the very end, is this long story of God's redemption, that God has come to redeem and save his people, culminating in Jesus Christ coming on the cross for you and for me. This ultimate act of redemption where pain, struggle, sin, failure is redeemed and saved on the cross. So the rest of the Bible story is a story of redemption. The opening passages are a story of despair and pain and hurt and sadness. What is the lasting story that you have in your life? So when we get off on the elevator on any of these despair floors, regret, sadness, depression, or despair, you are going to be immediately challenged. You're going to be immediately challenged to think about, okay, hmm, which way am I going to go here? I want to be able to see what is in front of me. I want to be honest about how I feel, why I feel that way, and what it's teaching me. But I also want to be able to see, maybe like Haman did in Psalm 88, even in the middle of this hurt and pain, I want to find my hope, not in people or circumstances, but my hope in the character of a God who redeems. That is where the hope vaccination is found for despair. But I will tell you, it is tough. It is tough because you're left with a very difficult choice sometimes. Are you going to make darkness your closest friend and give up to depression and sadness and despair? Or are you going to turn and look square at the God who has allowed you to be on this floor? Those are two difficult choices. What if God is silent? What if he doesn't answer? What if he brings no redemption right now? You get to make the choice. Which is the lasting story? Is despair going to win the day for you? Or is hope in the character of God going to be the lasting story? Is there a redemption that is available? And despair wants you to think, it wants you to think that there is no hope. But even Haman, 
was unwilling to make a deal with the devil and give in to despair. Well, he was brutally honest with it and said, there are days when I have no hope, it feels like. You know what he did the next day? He said it three times. Every day, I got up and I cried out to God. I got up and I cried out to God. I got up and I cried out to God. Why? Because hope in the character of a redeeming God is the vaccination for despair. It is where we find our hope. And that is my hope for you, that right now, this season that we're in will not crush you, that you will know what floor you have gotten off on. And some are harder to engage than others. We are here with you to walk with you through that. And God is too. And I want you to ask the question, which is the lasting story right now? Despair or redemption? Next week, I want to dive further into the God who redeems and into the hope that can come in our lives. I would love to have you join us next week for our next installment of Disrupted, where we talk about the hope of God. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time together this morning, even virtually online, and I pray for those listening, for those hearing this, that you would give us the courage that we need to face these floors that we can get off on, to face the despair and depression and sadness and regret with honesty. Help us to be honest with what we see, to own the feelings that are in the room, and then to consider, is there redemption, or do I just want my life to be given over to despair and have desire killed? So I pray that you would give us the courage to do what we need to do, to talk with you, to share with those around us, and to engage those who can help as we seek to walk in hope. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.